The Nasty Cast might sound like a silly name for a show, but this is a serious fantasy baseball podcast. Okay, maybe not that serious, but these guys aren't just here to party. Here now are hosts Van Lee and Ron Rigney. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the October 13th edition of The Nasty Cast. I'm your host, Van Lee, and I'm joined once again by my fellow baseball compatriots and fans, Brian Vaughn and Ron Rigney. Ron, how are you on this fine Wednesday evening? Doing actually really well. Had a big event in my uh, household today. My oldest son got his driver's license today. Whoa. So official, yes, he's an official driver. He is hopefully ready to drive to school tomorrow for the first time. So my question for you guys is, um, I want to know what your first car was when you got your license. This will be great for in both of our cases. Brian, yeah. why don't you take this first? Brian Vaughn. Okay, so I first had a 1987 Plymouth Reliant station wagon with wood paneling on the side that I bought from my dad for $500. And it was glorious. This thing yeah. was massive, too. Anytime, anytime you describe a car with wood paneling, I'm in. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And really, I was very comfy inside it because like for some reason, cars then were made very roomy inside and to feel like a grandmother's couch. I don't know why. In some cases, look like a grandmother's couch as well. It kind of did. So for me, this is kind of a, a long winded answer for this. You'd think it'd be simple. But essentially, I had one car that uh, we bought and my mom took it essentially i won't get into that but it was a big ass chevy caprice i think it was called but this is like the old style that had like a v8 engine and it was somehow bigger than brian station wagon but i only drove it a <laughs> couple of times so i'm going to instead talk about the first car i personally bought drove you know it was mine 100 from the very beginning and Brian will remember this. It was a 1996, I think, Plymouth Sundance, which oh, are yes. these little hatchbacks. They're these tiny little cars. And it was pink. We used to call it the stripper car because it looked <laughs> like a, a very poor stripper's car. I and feel it like it was very car. faded. Yeah, it was quite a bit faded. That car was great. I drove it for a full year before it started to kind of crap out. I bought it for $600. Went to go trade in, and I got my first like real car purchase. It was a Chevy Malibu. I love that car. It, uh, I got $500 for the Plymouth. So therefore it cost me a hundred dollars to drive it for a year. I was like, that's a great deal. Good bargain. That's a great value. You what kids, you can Ron, learn from van. That's right. <laughs> what about you, Ron? What was your first vehicle? Uh, so I was able to acquire a seven, 1979 Cadillac sedan DeVille four door, um, about the size of a small, uh, tugboat in length. <laughs> And it was, it, I bought it off of my aunt for $1. I actually handed her a dollar for this car. And it had the bench seats in the front. It, it, you could fit about, I think, like 25 people in it if you really <laughs> wanted to. And, and that car was a lot of fun. And it was one of those big cars with the V8. And that thing, could, that thing could get up and move. It ate gas quite a bit. But, man, it had the giant steering wheel. And it was like you were steering a cruise ship. And a lot of memories in that car. And we did name that car the Big Nasty. That was my next question were uh, names for these vehicles. The station wagon's name was Gene, (laughs) G-E-N-E. And uh, the Plymouth Sundance was Jasmine, actually. So there you go. We all named our vehicles. Very fitting in all cases. 
Certainly. All right. Well, we are going to wrap up essentially this fantasy baseball season by, by discussing awards on today's show. We'll be talking our fantasy MVP, our fantasy Cy Young, so best pitcher. We'll talk our preseason picks and whether or not they panned out in Major League Baseball. Spoiler alert, they didn't. And then we'll also play some Witches More at the end of the episode. It's going to be fun. We're going to wrap it up here and then... For the offseason, we'll be taking a little bit of time off. I can't imagine I'll be quite ready to put out an, another nasty cast until at least November. So I would say keep an eye out for that. But we'll, we'll get our offseason plans finalized soon and go from there. So before we get into everything, I just want to say thanks, everyone, for tuning in for another season. Obviously, this was a big one because it was the first season of the nasty cast without Nate. Uh, he left, of course, uh, at the end of last year, I believe. Either way, we survived. We made it through. We added Brian to the team, for better or for worse. For worse. But we're happy. Yeah, he's what here. are you going to do at this point? I mean, yeah. we're kind of stuck. Kind of just here. Him. Yeah. Either way, it was great. So we really appreciate the fans for tuning in. We'll, of course, be back next year and throughout the offseason with all kinds of cool baseball stuff. So let's dive right into it. And actually, before we do the awards, I have some random questions I just want to ask you guys about this fantasy season. So number one, and Brian, we'll start with you. What stands out to you at first glance as to what was different this year than what you expected at the outset of the season? Did you notice something that just took you by surprise? So one of the things that I have been thinking about a lot this season and what spurred it was the success of players who qualify at second base is how much we talked coming into the season about positional scarcity and just, you know, Oh, you got to kind of make sure you grab one of these five guys at second base because of how shallow it is. And then the season ends, you look back and there's 20 guys you would have been thrilled to have had in theory. And I guess that's kind of one of my big takeaways is over the past couple of years with more variables. One of course being COVID and the havoc it hath wrought and the others being major league baseball, potentially changing the ball uh, pitchers, not being allowed to use certain substances. There's just a, a lot of things going on right now. And uh, the sum of the parts for me has made it a little bit more difficult to necessarily project what a group of players is going to do, I guess. Cause the, the last couple of years have been very, very strange and that's one of the things I'm taking away from it is maybe don't worry too much about some of the minutia like, oh, I need to grab a second baseman and skipping over a player I would actually rather have. So for me, one of the things that that, that stood out in a, a lot of my leagues is the, just the fact that it was it was to me harder this season to find starting pitching when you had injuries and I had, you know, I, I talked about in the preseason, there was one team that I was able to take over where I had and it just an insane, you know, it, it, rotation, just riches everywhere. As far as pitching, I had Cole, I had Grom, I had Jack Flaherty, I had Blake Snell. And then I was able to kind of acquire Freddie Peralta, Trevor Rogers. I was able to acquire some guys throughout the season. I got Tariq Skubal at the end of the season, but when those guys went down, for me to find anything that was consistent, for me to get anything off of waivers, even just spot starter type guys in a 10-team league, I felt like it was a lot harder this year to find those type of guys. And I really had to, you know, in a daily moves league, I really had to sit and, and watch that waiver wire every single day to get those guys. And I feel like that was something harder for me to do this year. And I feel like also it was harder for me to find saves this year. 
I feel like a lot of these guys that, you know, clocked, you know, five, seven, eight saves, and even some guys that took over closer roles, it was just it was just really hard to peg that this year. And I know that's not easy to do any time, but I felt like I struggled with that quite a bit. But I felt like those pitching injuries, and especially in that league, because once I started having those, I think I led for, you know, a good maybe 80% of the season. And once I started just getting decimated with injuries, I, I think I ended up finishing like fifth out of out of ten teams. So I just kind of took a nosedive. So it was one of those things where I couldn't find anything off of waivers, and I felt like I did my due diligence, and everything I tried to do just didn't work out that well. So I got a second place in a couple of leagues, but I, I think that the, just the difficulty of trying to find consistent pitching anywhere after an injury was the thing that stood out to me, and it just made it a really really hard season. Both good points there, and Ron, to your point about pitching and starting pitching in in particular, there were only four starters this season that had over 200 innings, only four. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think if we were to look at 2019, we might have had eight to ten, or I don't know, maybe a little bit less than that. But it feels like that has gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. And the leader in innings pitched this season was Zach Wheeler at 213. So, I mean, we usually get a 230-inning guy at least – and uh, I don't think that's the case anymore. So I kind of started to think about how do we need to treat that? Does that mean I need to start drafting pitching sooner? Well, not necessarily the more I think about it, because we're all playing the same game. We're all using the same player pool. So that means pitching is shallow for me. It's also shallow for you. So I don't quite know how I'm going to approach the, uh, the position going into next season's drafts. I understand that maybe premium pitchers will have that extra cost but then again how do we identify premium pitchers because the top you know so many pitchers as far as well era war whatever facet you want to use to look at them i'd say of the top 10 maybe four of them would have been names you would have picked at the outset of the season so it's just there's such turnover and that bleeds into the relief core We've seen this for years where teams have finally started to get away from it's our one guy and we refuse to make a change. It's going to take Ryan Franklin 10 blown saves before we move him out of the closer role. Well, now it seems like they're ready to move him out even more than ever before. So I'm with you as far as the saves go, Ron, because that's tricky. And if you look at the uh, leaderboards as far as who led and saves, really there were only maybe five, six, seven maybe guys that you could point to at the outset of a season were the closer and held the job through the whole season. And that's just such a small number. So I think it's interesting to see how much that has changed. I also wonder, and if you guys have an opinion on this, do you think that this is just because of the short season in 2020. That's what caused this. Or is this the new norm? We're going to have the lower starting pitcher totals. We're going to have low, lower overall innings totals. What do you guys think of that? Maybe it was a little bit lower than it normally would be due to COVID concerns and coming off the shortened season. But I mean, this is the trend we've been seeing. Fewer and fewer innings out of starting pitchers, more clever deployments of your roster. And I think as a fantasy player, and we've talked about this some already, but I think it's going to necessitate some really big changes for fantasy baseball sooner rather than later. We've already, all of us are in leagues that are already considering or do use innings pitched as a category. Relief stats are all out of whack, trying to scour the market for saves or holds or saves plus holds or saves plus two thirds of a hold. (laughs) There's just, there's no real good way to account for a lot of the changes in baseball. Same goes for how the, uh, on the offensive side of things, 
it's just harder to find guys who make really consistent contact, which often means lower batting average, which means they're harder to evaluate than ever. And if you're not in an OBP league, that is a big question mark. So yeah, I feel like a lot of changes are happening and we're going to need to catch up to them. And I, and I think too, just with the, the increase in, in, you know, all these guys that we see, that are getting Tommy John, you know, I think they're going to, you know, it's kind of like what we talked about with Clayton Kershaw. I think it's going to going to be a more common situation with that, where, you know, these guys are going to be really good, but they're going to be really good for maybe 160, 170 innings. Like we're, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about later on our fantasy Cy Young award winners. And when I was looking through those stats, I was kind of shocked that the guys that, you know, I thought had, you know, been pretty healthy for the most part of the season, Guys that I had on teams, you look up their innings pitch, they're around a 150 with a 170 range, which you got some really good innings out of them. But I, I, I think that we're kind of seeing the decline of those 200 inning, inning pitchers. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting, too, when these guys become Hall of Fame eligible, what they're going to use as criteria. Because, you know, they used to look at, you know, 300 wins. Well, I don't think we're going to see another 300 win pitcher maybe ever. Uh, you know, there'll be a few freaks here and there that will pitch. You know, you know, they'll pitch complete games. And I don't I don't know if we'll even see complete games anymore. But I think that you kind of see that formula, you know, not me being a homer, but you see what the Rays do with those bullpen days, especially if you've got a guy that's hurt. I think teams are going to look at that as more of a plausible idea instead of maybe bringing up a you know spot starter from the minors and sending him down two days later. Now, you know, some teams may not get on board with that, but I think I feel like we've seen teams a little more more confident in their bullpen pieces that they feel like they can get a nice, you know, three innings here, two innings there, and they can compensate that, you know, or compensate for a guy being hurt. But I, it just, uh, all the guys that we see getting Tommy John uh, recently. And, you know, like I said, just with the guy, the starters we've seen like Jack Flaherty, uh, Jacob DeGrom, you know, having great seasons and all of a sudden the wheels just fall off of it. It's frustrating as a, as an owner. And it makes you really realize, you know, do I want to spend these early picks on, on these arms that I know I'm not going to get the, the amount of innings out of that I'm spending on a second or third round pick. Is it worth it to get those 150? I think that's a really hard question that you're going to have to try to answer going into drafts from here on out. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing to add to that. I want to go ahead and talk postseason baseball and the world series. Let's uh, toss in our preseason final four predictions here. Talk about how <laughs> wrong we were with them, but then we'll also make our guess because as it stands, as of right now, as we're recording Houston, of course, advanced Boston advanced. So it's going to be Houston and Boston and the ALCS. And then the Braves have beaten the Brewers. So they've made it to the NLCS and we have one more game between the Dodgers and giants and winner takes all and they'll make it. So right now we know three for sure teams that are going to be in it. So, First, let's talk preseason Final Four predictions. I'll start with mine. In the AL, I said it was going to be Yankees-Rays, with the Rays beating them. And, I mean, both of those teams made it in the playoffs. The Yankees were, of course, eliminated in the wild card game, and then Boston just destroyed Ron's Rays. Unfortunately, it was very sad. Uh, in the National League side, I said Dodgers over Padres. And that is kind of right because the Dodgers have made it this far, but it was the Cardinals who made it into this round. Oh, I'm sorry, let me back up. Hey. I said it was Dodgers-Padres, and I was kind of right here. The Dodgers made it into the NLDS. Of course, this is against the Giants and then the Braves-Brewers on the other side. And so finally, I said in my World Series, it was going to be Rays over Dodgers. I'm still in the running for half right. The Dodgers can make it. So not the worst, but, you know, that's what happens. Uh, Ron, you want to talk about yours? Yeah, so I got a couple right. I didn't do uh, – definitely didn't do as well as, as as you'd advance. So I had White Sox, Blue Jays, Padres, Cardinals, 
as my AL and NL, and then I had Padres and Blue Jays in my World Series, so I definitely whiffed on that one, but I got the White Sox right, and I got the Cardinals right. They went on a little hot streak there at the end, so I'm kind of happy I picked that. I guess I didn't have a lot of confidence in my Rays uh, in the preseason. Maybe I was just trying not to jinx them. I don't know. Maybe I ended up jinxing them by not picking them. Who knows? But yeah, definitely did not do that well. I did not want to go all chalk on this situation uh, with any of the preseason awards or postseason predictions. Because when I am right, I want to be right in a big majestic way. But unfortunately, in 2021, I was just wrong in a big majestic way. My American League picks uh, Twins and Angels, two teams that had great seasons. (laughs) Nate and I were super excited. And then, of course... (laughs) That died off about halfway through the year. Yeah. And the National League, I did fare better, although I did have the Padres in the NLCS, and they didn't have very good season. I also had the Brewers, who were just recently eliminated. And in the World Series, I had Brewers over Twins, and that is not possible in any way, shape, or form. So it looks like me going with Dodgers is the only one that really going on a limb. Yeah, the laziest possible one. And it's it's something that could happen. We'll see. All right. So now that we've narrowed the field down again, we've got Houston versus Boston and Braves versus either Giants and Dodgers. Who do we think is going to take the whole thing from here on out? Uh, Brian, we'll start with you. What's your guess for a World Series? Well, guess is right, because, yeah, ultimately that's, you know, it's kind of a crapshoot. But what I'll say and I have to hedge this a little bit since we have a game five with the Giants and Dodgers coming up. If the Dodgers win that, I'm going to pick them to win it all effectively since they're the best team left. If they, and I am taking, I'm taking Houston in the American league. So I'm going to say Dodgers over Houston in a revenge play. uh, If, if the Dodgers advance, if they don't, unfortunately, I think I'm going to say, um, Houston over the Giants, since I would actually rather watch the Astros win a World Series again than watch the Giants win a World Series again. again. (laughs) Ron, what do you think? I I think I'm going to go Astros in the American League. Um, I I didn't know that I could hate the Red Sox more than I already did until (laughs) about three three nights ago. And I mean, I already had a high level of hatred for them, but I I think that I'm in a place where I'm going to root for the Yankees against them from now on. And I never thought I would find myself saying that. So um, I'm going to go with the Astros, I, but I, all, all kidding aside, I think the Astros are, are the are the better team. I think they're a little bit more loaded offensively. I think that you know it's gonna, I, I think the Dodgers. It's it's going to be tough for the Giants to just you know with the you know it's it's like a it's a murderer's row in that Dodgers lineup. You know we talked about the trades they made and the guys that they already had and you know the you know, Mookie Betts at, at the top of the lineup. And this is all too with your former MVP Cody Bellinger having a subpar season to say the least. I think it's going to be Dodgers Astros. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Dodgers. I think if it ends up being that, that, that scenario, I think the Dodgers win it in six games. All right. And then I will say that uh, I've always hated Boston for as long as I can remember as my most hated team, because the Yankees are the evil empire, but they understand it. The Red Sox are the evil empire pretending to be the Rays. And that drives me freaking crazy how people bandwagon on the Red Sox and love them, despite the fact that they're just as evil, which is why they're going to make it into the World Series. I think they have a, I don't know, a pretty mediocre team. It's top heavy. Their pieces aren't that great. I guess they have some good defensive pieces here and there, but they just keep winning and it drives me nuts. So I think they're going to make it to the World Series. The Dodgers will overcome the Giants, make it to the World Series. And then Boston will beat the Dodgers 
the only other team that you could argue is more big and corporate and evil than Boston. And people will adore the Boston Red Sox for it in what could be a very, very boring World Series. That's what I think is going to happen. Okay, now that we've got that out of the way, let's go ahead and talk our award winners. Let's do Cy Young first. And I've set this up as just either league, and this is fantasy award winners. So basically, they could be someone you drafted in the 30th round. They could be your second overall pick. Whatever criteria you chose to use to name this player your favorite, so be it. So let's start with Cy Young. Brian, let's toss to you first. Who's your fantasy Cy Young award winner for this season? So for Fantasy Cy Young in 2021, I chose, we've already actually discussed him because he led baseball in innings pitched, Zach Wheeler, who I wound up with in three leagues, and he was incredible. He was extremely reliable. He gave me those bulk innings, and he improved in every way. He had a career year, uh, struck out more batters than he ever has, walked fewer, just improved across the board as he kind of enters his prime I drafted him to sort of be a fringy number two pretty frequently, and he wound up being a fantasy ace this season. So he's definitely my personal fantasy Cy Young by the criteria I'm using, which is just player I wound up with a bunch and returned a lot of value. Mine's going to be a guy that I don't have. I have absolutely no shares of uh, a guy that I didn't realize was as good as he was until I dove into it. And that's Julio Urias. And, I, you know, a guy, the 20-game winner is not something that we're going to see a whole lot of, I don't think, anymore either. We talked about those innings. He went 20-3, and 2.96 ERA, 185 innings pitched, 195 Ks, coming off a pretty big injury a couple of years ago where they've kind of eased him back into it. But just a guy that I, I believe you got really solid value getting going into the season and a guy that returned some just insane numbers, didn't walk a ton of guys, didn't, you know, had that, that K per nine that was just under double digits. XERA and FIP had him at just over three. So his ERA was right in that neighborhood of where it should be. Uh, he's a five war player, just did it across the board and, and, and pitched a pretty healthy amount of innings as well, especially coming off that injury he came off of. And you two went with National League pitchers here. I will shift us to the American League with Carlos Rodon player that I did end up owning in several places, including the Listener League. But Carlos Rodon ended up being taken for really nothing because he hasn't provided anything for several years. But early on in the season or in the preseason, I can't remember when he started to pitch, we saw that his velocity was good. He looked healthy. And I thought in a lot of drafts, eh, I'll take a chance to see what happens. Maybe we'll get something out of it. 132 and two-thirds innings, 237 ERA, 12.55 K per nine, 244 walks per nine. 0.88 home runs for nine. And last time we talked about him on the show, we all kind of agreed he's mostly for real. And I would certainly expect to see more of this. It's unfortunate he didn't have the full workload, if you will, but he also dealt with some injuries. And I think he was hurt at the beginning of the year. I can't remember. Either way, 132 innings is basically like 160 innings six years ago. That's still just a lot of bulk innings to have. And I really like him. So there are our Cy Young Award winners. So let's move on to the offensive part of the game and say MVPs. I'll start us off here. And the player that I wanted to highlight is uh, a highly drafted player, someone who was taken in the first couple of rounds, but someone that I thought wasn't getting the love he deserved. And in fact, released a video about him. It's Bryce Harper. And Harper is back to doing what he did several years ago. 309, 429, 615. 
35 homers, 13 steals, 185 runs and RBIs combined. He was taken, I think, in the third round in this season, and you got complete first-round value here. And I think that maybe people will finally be kind of back in him, but I also don't know because he had a high BABIP at 360. His career rate's 320. So maybe people think the batting average will fall, and by all accounts it will because he's more of an on-base guy anyway. But overall, those steals are amazing. The home runs were amazing. Everything he did was great this year. So I definitely went with just 28-year-old Bryce Harper, younger than I would have guessed. All right, let's go to Ron next. Who are your Who is your offensive MVP? So I'm going to take a guy that you got a little bit later in drafts. You didn't have to give up a, a, a premium pick for him, but it was a guy that got traded, you know, before the in, in midseason and just kept right on doing what he was doing, and that's Starling Marte. And I think I'm combining, you know, the stats that he put up with, with the, the value that you got for him in drafts. I know you were expecting to get some steals out of him, but I don't think you were expecting to get, to get this level of a slash line with the, with the, the run score that you got as well. So – Starling Marte in a lot of, you know, pretty much every setting is going to be probably your number one ranked outfielder. And so the numbers he put up, 308, 381, 456, striking out under 20% of the time, walking 8% of the time. So he actually more than doubled or doubled his walk rate from last season uh, when he put up solid numbers in the shortened season. But 12 homers, which, you know, you're not going to get a, you're not looking for a ton of homers out of Starling Marte. But 89 runs scored, 55 RBIs. But the big stat here, 47 stolen bases. I don't think that we thought that in 2021, Starling Marte at 32 years old was going to match his career high in steals, but here we are. And he did all this playing in a Marlins offense that obviously is not very good. And and then got traded to Oakland offense there that you could make an argument. It's a little better, but still just produced all season long, stayed somewhat healthy. The only thing that, that, and it almost makes his numbers a little bit more impressive Played in 120 games, but still got 526 plate appearances. So even though the games doesn't look like it's a lot, still got you over 500 plate appearances for that draft value, but just did everything for your team and ended up finishing as the top outfielder in fantasy. And also real quick, if you extrapolate his numbers to 650 plate appearances, 58 stolen bases is what he would have. And that is, we haven't seen a number like that since Hamilton, really. That never happens. Maybe Malik Smith did that once. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he got to 50. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, but he might have. So I'm going to go with the guy that would have been drafted the lowest, probably, of the three guys we've discussed. While the Twins did not make the playoffs, Jorge Polanco was great this year, and we all liked him coming into this season. I think we all probably had him in a league. I had him in a couple, and he had a great season after a slow start essentially hitting 270, cleared 30 homers and 10 steals, over 90 RBI and runs. Uh, I mean, giving you value just everywhere, uh, playing the infield pretty much everywhere. So really valuable player going forward, too. And I I don't know, Jorge Polanco seemed obvious to return value coming into the season. I don't think I could have guessed this much, though, especially after a slow start. Yeah, certainly. I definitely agree with that. But I remember Nate texting me early in the season talking about how crappy Polanco was being. And that's what I had in my head for too long before I finally realized, oh, he's turned it on. He's having a season. And he did. And I do think he can continue doing that. Another one who's just 28 years old. He feels like he should be a lot older than that for sure. 
Uh, Malik Smith, by the way, 46 steals in 2019. So your point still stands, Brian. That just 566 plate appearances for that. So still a lot of steals on the table for him if he would have had full plate appearances. And what's all the more impressive, I think he did that while batting 220, if I remember right. <laughs> yeah, uh, he did it without ever actually getting on base to steal mm-hmm. one. So it's yeah. it was an interesting magic trick. He, he was he was uh, Adalberto Montesi before we had Adalberto Montesi. That's right. <laughs> 227, 300. That's his batting average OPP. Wow. All right. So he's a little better than Montesi. <laughs> I, apparently at this point, although one of them you're getting in the uh, second round of drafts next year, probably the first in some cases because he came back and stole a bunch of bases. We'll see. All right, let's take a quick break here, and then when we get back, we'll continue talking more goofy baseball stuff. Don't you wish your girlfriend was nasty like me? Don't you wish your girlfriend was a freak like me? Don't you? Don't you? All right, let's take a look back at the preseason. We gave our own real life uh, MVP and Cy Young choices, and I want to just revisit those to see how wrong or right we were. Let's stick with uh, Cy Young first, and we're going to do both NL and AL. I'll give you an example here. My preseason pick for AL MVP, or I'm sorry, AL Cy Young was a lazy one, and I remember I listened to the episode recently that I was just kind of miffed about the AL choices, and that's really been the AL over the past so many years, it feels like there's one or two truly elite guys, and then it gets murkier with the rest of the pitchers. The NL tends to have more names that you go, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be really good. Uh, so I picked Garrett Cole, and that's a reasonable pick. I mean, I don't think he's going to win it this year, but he obviously had a good season, so I don't really need to talk about that. And in the National League, I picked what now seems like a lazy pick, but then may have been a little sneakier. It's uh, Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer, of course, coming off the 2020 season where he didn't look quite as good. 2019, he didn't pitch the full total of innings, but this year was right back to being the Max Scherzer of old. And he does have a chance to win the Cy Young this year. I don't know that he does. I don't know that he's necessarily my favorite, but I do like him up there in his odds of winning that award. But those are my two guys. So not uh, exciting picks, nothing too risky. But overall, it turned out pretty well for me. So let's toss it to Brian. Who are your two picks for AL and NL Cy Young Award? I went somewhat stable in the National League. I waffled between taking Hugh Darvish and Brandon Woodruff, and I chose very wrong, (laughs) uh, choosing Darvish, who had a much worse season and was really hampered by injuries all season long. In the American League, I wanted to go way outside the box, and I picked a guy who wound up in the National League, (laughs) Jesus Lazardo, who was hurt and shuffled between the minors and majors and ineffective until the very end of the season. So that was a fun breakout pick. I didn't expect it to happen, but I did expect Lizardo to fare better than he wound up faring. So for mine went with it in the AL went with Lucas Giolito. And I, 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 he's a guy that got off to an extremely slow start and ended up doing essentially about the same as putting about the same numbers as he's put up the last couple of seasons when he's kind of taken that step forward. And with that ERA in the mid threes, didn't take that step to, to get the Cy Young, but was still fairly consistent after he kind of stumbled out of the gate a little bit. Had my doubts there at the beginning because I think he was he had a, quite a while there at the beginning of the season where he had an ERA over five. So I got a little scared there. And then the other guy I had was Jacob deGrom, and and Jacob deGrom, I think, was well on his way to doing that before he went out with injury. And so that's kind of what I was talking about before is, 
you know, are you going to spend the, the early round pick on these guys if, if this is something that's going to happen? DeGrom's 33. To me, it feels like he's way older than that for some reason. But, I mean, he posted a K per nine of over 14, which is a career high. He had a 1.08 ERA through 92 innings. I mean, he was, you know, he had the he had the award wrapped up before he got hurt. All he needed to do was pitch probably about 140, 150 innings at, the, at those numbers, and he would have had it. So I don't feel too bad about that pick. There's not much you can do when your guy gets injured. All right, so as far as the actual award then, with the National League, and I'm pulling up the full list here as we speak, do you think let – me, let me posit the question this way. How many innings would DeGrom have to have thrown at this pace to win the award? Because I think there are just too many good pitchers. He won't get it. I mean, Corbin Burns, 167, 243 RA. Wheeler, we talked earlier. Bueller, 207 innings, 247 ERA. So DeGrom's not going to get it this year. But with not just 93, 92 innings in the book, if he had the same strikeout rate, same ERA, 108, how many does he have to have to win that award over what just happened? Any thoughts, Brian? I feel really confident 150 would for sure do it. I think Burns is, I mean, he really should win. Um, if not, It's basically, to me, a choice between Burns and Wheeler, and that's whether or not you want to give Wheeler the durability bump uh, or Burns the bump for just being good on a level that it, no one is except for DeGrom, usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for me, I think if DeGrom logs 150 innings to Burns' 167, I think he probably is good enough to do it at that point. Although, you never know, because with the uh, Mets narrative, maybe he only wins, like, negative five games somehow, (laughs) and that hurts his voting standing. See, I would have said 140 just with the insane video game number type stats he was putting up. If he would have continued that into 140 innings, I don't think it would have been a question because you're looking at all the other guys. You know, I'm looking at a list here. Of, of guys that are favorites for this award, and you're seeing innings totals of 135, 137, 144, 160, 150. So I think if he would have thrown 140 as lights out as he was, it wouldn't have even been a question. It's right around there, essentially. My brain said 130 initially, but that's probably just a little too few innings. So either way. I think yeah. there would be people that looked at that too and had just a harder time with it. Like if it, that's kind of why I was thinking 150 is it looks better physically mm-hmm. which is One certainly probably, like cements it like yeah no less than that then there's the debate which but is funny probably... because the writers have given the award to relief pitchers before <laughs> yeah that's a good point exactly all right let's move on to the offensive side of things and we'll talk mvps in the same way ron let's start with you first who were your preseason mvps and how did that go so i went with a couple of uh, infielders here um in the american league i went with Xander Bogarts, and as much as it, it, I hated it as far as going with the Red Sox to, to win this award, I, I really felt like he was going to have a solid season, and he did. I wouldn't say it was quite an MVP-type season, but I don't think he was all that far off. You know, fairly durable, played 144 games, 600 plate appearances, hit 23 homers, 90 runs, 79 RBIs, stole you five bases, 295, 374, 93, did it in the, did it in the field as well. So I think he was he was extremely valuable to what the Red Sox did, but I don't think he's necessarily you know going to finish as the most valuable player in the league. And the guy I picked for the National League was a guy that I thought you know with the with the with the acquisition of him, I thought he would make a huge splash in a big market. And it's another Met here, and that's Francisco Lindor, and he just underwhelmed and disappointed all season. 
first guy that was you know guy you picked in the first round didn't have a bad season but when you're when you're having when you have that much behind you as far as you know that that you know pin on you you're you're kind of that savior going to New York to save the Mets and you hit 230 with the 322 OBP and hit 20 homers uh, you, you're that you're not getting it done. You're you know he's got three seasons of thirty homers. His numbers were way down. So maybe when he gets settled in a little bit, maybe next season he he kind of acclimates and and does it a little bit. Still only twenty seven years old, but definitely a big miss there for NL MVP. So I wound up selecting Anthony Rendon in the American League, and that did not go well for me. It's not the worst MVP pick that we'll be discussing in this <laughs> in this segment, but he he only wound up with 249 plate appearances and season-ending hip surgery. I don't think he was ever fully healthy. I was picking him on the basis of the fact that he kind of secretively was one of the best players in baseball the last five years. And I thought maybe this would sort of be Rendon getting his flowers. And it turned out he returned to being injured. And in the national league, I took another guy who I thought was going to return from injury in a grand way. That's Christian Yelich. He just never really got it going and, and really hasn't since battling injuries two seasons ago. And, and, last year's uh, COVID shortened season as well. He struggled. So yeah, not a good run of MVP selections for me. Neither one of them slugged 400. Oof, that was rough. Yeah. Rendon is clearly hurt all year. So we'll see what happens with him. Let's talk Yelich real quick for a moment here. What do you guys think about him going into next season? I mean, his year was so bad. 248, 362, 373. He's still walking 14.7% of the time. The strikeouts were even down compared to that 2020 season at 23%, still higher than his career rate. But the power really was not there. 373 slugging. The steals were kind of there, but not that exciting. Just nine and 475 plate appearances. So what do you think? Is he someone you think you'll take? next year hoping for a bounce back will the cost be too little too much where does he land what do you think happens uh, ron any thoughts you know christian yelich is a guy that i i just i almost feel sad for him you know he was you know he's such a huge fantasy player a couple years ago he's a guy that i had in a couple dynasties guy that i was able to get rid of and get a decent return before the wheels really fell off of it i i, I still wonder if he's fully healthy i still wonder about the back issues i still wonder if it's something where you know he's trying to press and kind of become you know, this guy in, in this new scenario, you know, we talked about him with the Marlins and he finally gets traded and gets a shot to hit in a great park and he takes advantage of it. And then all of a sudden he just hits a nose, you know, just nose dives. And, you know, he's not super, super old yet. He's still in a, in a good lineup in a good ballpark. He's a guy that I root for. You know, he's a fun player to watch, did a little bit of everything, but I, I just really wonder if he's ever going to be right again. And it looks like he's not. I'm really concerned at this point, too. And I was a big champion of him, obviously, coming into this season. But he represents a new concern, which is recently a lot of young stars in their prime have gotten injured and have not really been able to return to form. And Yelich is one of those guys. And as a result, I mean, I coming into the season, he and Cody Bellinger, I wound up with in multiple leagues because I was thinking if I wound up with these guys in the second round, I'm going to get huge value or could. And now I'm thinking taking any sort of risk that soon is a mistake. Yeah, I don't know what to think about Yelich. I'm going to need to see 
his draft price. I want to see where he's falling because there is obviously a buying opportunity here because he used to be so good. So there's a chance he could always get back to that and provide what he always does. Good batting average. Okay. Power to good power, good steals, but also, I mean, you guys hit on it. He's been hurt. He's been just so bad. So I think there might be someone who believes too much in drafts and he's bought way too high for me, but we'll see. So I, I don't know. We'll just have to see when the actual ADP stuff starts coming out. As for my MVPs, I picked in the American League Jose Ramirez, which was uh, it was a fine pick. And guess what? It turned out to be a fine pick. Yeah, great season. 55, 538, 36 homers, 27 steals. Uh, looking at the National League, um, I don't. He's not going to win the MVP award, but he had a hell of a season, and honestly, might have provided a better fantasy season than some of the actual MVP award finalists because they might be, have done better in real baseball. But those steals is so big, particularly in this day and age for this game. So yeah, that was fine. <laughs> more awfully and more excitedly in the National League, I selected Cody Bellinger to win the National League <laughs> award. Guess what? Didn't happen. This is another one that I just don't know what to think because he had little stretches too towards the end of the season where he started to look like he was coming out of a funk, but the whole season looks just disgusting. 165, 240, 302, 10 homers, three steals, and 350 plate appearances. He was put into a platoon at one point. He just looked lost and still hurt. So are we thinking this is another example of Yelich where, okay, maybe we should back off and stay away, Brian? Or do you think that we're still too early in the getting healthy segment that maybe he can come back? I don't know. What do you see in Bellinger? I view them pretty similarly, Bellinger and Yelich, except for Yelich was actually significantly better, which is funny considering neither were good. But I view them similarly in that I would target them if they fell far enough, but where could a player who has essentially had an MVP season fall? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, and, and not even a long time ago, like in the last few seasons, that's the tough thing about it. But I mean, the talent is there. He just looks lost. And I, and I think if you're looking for him in that scenario, I think Bellinger to me anyway, is the guy that's most likely to fall and you would get that value for I, I'm kind of with you, Van. I don't think there's. I don't think there's going to be. I, I, I think Yelich falls a little bit, but I don't think he's going to fall to where he's that super huge bargain. I think there's somebody that's going to believe in him a little more than I will. Plus the fact that you know, with we talk, we're, if we're talking about injury and we're talking about that back, you know, like I said, Yelich is not super old, but he's still 29. When you're looking at Cody Bellinger, he's still just 25 years old. So, and, and I think that you know, like you said, Brian, he still just looks a little bit lost. I think he can get it together. I have a little more confidence he can get it together than 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 Christian Yelich because maybe he's just battling something that could just be an adjustment at the plate. But if Yelich is battling injury, I don't know if we ever see the, see him get back to that level that he once was. I definitely don't think we're going to see those stolen bases anymore, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Again, another case of we'll see with Ballinger what his draft costs may be. Because of his age, I think maybe people might buy a little more into it, but we also don't have the large sample size. Like Yelich had three or four years that were elite, whereas we only really had the, well, I guess we did have two to three elite years with Bellinger. I don't know. Again, ADP is going to determine this, but there's still hope in my mind for both of these guys. I'm not completely out on either one of them. The other thing is uh, the Dodgers have the resources and the roster to just sit Bellinger yeah. if they need to, whereas Milwaukee's going to play Yelich. Yeah, that's a great point. That's very true. Yeah. 
All right, that is going to do it for our fantasy awards, winners, losers, whatever you want to call it. The <laughs> stuff that we discussed that involved fantasy awards this season. So we're going to wrap up the show with a nice round of which is more. I don't have the drop, so let's do this one instead. I'll pretend I heard some cackling. It's seasonally appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, which is more is a game we like to play where we posit to you a question of which is more. We'll give you two things. We'll say which is more, Mark Teixeira's career OBP or Mark Teixeira's career number of batted balls in play. Obviously, you know which is more there, but you get the idea. <laughs> Except we don't do that. Instead, we do really stupid things. We'll say which is more, Mark Teixeira's number of racist comments said on air or the number of hot dogs Mark Teixeira's eaten in his life. That's how we play, which is more. Except that's also not how we play, which is more, because we're legit going to play the damn game for once. First I, time ever. I, when I made this, I just wrote up, which is more likely, and then I presented some scenarios. At the beginning of this show, Brian says, hey, you know, this is just like our game, except for real. So for the first <laughs> time ever, we're going to really play it. So essentially... Which is more sans irony. <laughs> that's right. So I'm going to ask you, gentlemen, which is more likely to happen in 2021 and next season? I'm sorry, 2022 next season. And we'll see what you guys think. So, Brian, we'll toss this first one to you first. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. contends for the Triple Crown again, or Trey Turner goes 25-30, that's 25 homers, 30 steals, with a 300 batting average, which is more likely to happen next year. I think it's Turner. I, I think both of them are likely to do this sort of thing throughout their primes. They're both just MVP candidates year in, year out, I think. But I think it's Turner because the scenario only requires a 300 batting average. Batting average is crazy and fluky. And who's to say Vlad will be able to contend for the actual title? You just never know. Nicky Lopez might hit 348 or something. <laughs> uh, this is a tough one because I, I'm kind of like Brian. I think both of these are likely. I'm going to go with Turner just because, like, I and, and you kind of made the argument for me too. The, the batting average is tough. I don't think we're going to see. Vladdy have any problem posting the homers and the RBI totals. I think he's going to be right there and probably lead the batting average could be, you know, he could still post those high totals and still, you know, not win the batting title. But the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause about Trey Turner is just the injury history that we've had with him. That gives me a little bit of concern for him to maybe get to those numbers. Cause he's a little bit older than Vladdy. We've seen him, you know, have a couple seasons where he spent a lot of time on the shelf, you know, last season, we didn't see that so much. Actually played in 148 games, so he, you know, he's he's only played 160, the full 162 one time, so that could, you know, prevent him from getting some of those numbers. But I just think it's a more likely scenario for Trey Turner to do what he normally does, as opposed to Vladdy winning that batting title. I put these two together for the sole reasons that you guys hit on, which was for Guerrero, it's batting average is fluky and who knows what will happen. And then for Turner, it's a history of health. So really, it was a good way to actually discuss these two players because we all agree that ultimately they're both going to be really good. So I, I second that notion. I am going to lean Trey Turner doing his bit on, on this one just because I really think Trey Turner is still one of the most underrated players in baseball and continues to do this sort of thing when he's healthy and when he plays. So I like him a lot. All right, next up, which is more likely to happen in 2022, Ron? Cedric Mullins approaches 30-30 again, or Starling Marte cracks 45 stolen bases again? I'm going to go, and this is yet again another another tough one here. As much as I like Marte, 45 steals is a lot, especially for a guy that's, you know, that's a little bit older. I'm going to go 
I'm going to go with Mullins, but the only the only reason the, the thing that gives me a little bit of pause with Mullins is I'm still not convinced that they keep him. I, I I'm still not convinced that he may not get dealt. He might get dealt somewhere, you know, where he's not in a hitter friendly park, or he might get dealt somewhere where he doesn't steal a lot. So I'm going to go with Mullins, but I don't necessarily feel all that great about it. But of the scenario proposed to me, I think that one would be more likely. Not saying that Starling Marte can't steal you know, 30 bases, but you know, 30 down from 45 is a pretty big drop. I agree with you. I really think if the number was 40, even I would probably take Marte, (laughs) but something about that 45, that's what makes that a good number. Makes it tricky to say he can repeat that again, as he did this season. I will also take Mullins, even though I think 2020 is more what he is as a player. It is a clean sweep here. I will be taking Mullins on this one as well. I buy it. I think he's an excellent player. I think he's going yeah. to continue essentially doing this. But as you guys said, 30 30 is tough. But 20 20, 25 25, good batting average, good OVP. I buy all that 100%. I think he's going to be what, a second round pick next year, maybe. I think so. And that's, I mean, if you would have said that at any point in that guy's career up leading up to this, everyone would have just laughed at you because he was just never really that kind of player, but here he is. And I buy it. All right. Next one, Brian, there are more than four starters or there are only four starters, excuse me, who reached 200 innings this year. Wait a minute. Hold on. Got to read it as it's written. You idiot. Don't try to fix it. Hold on. All right, Brian, this next one's for you first, which is more likely to happen in 2022. There are more than four starters who reach 200 innings or there are less than four starters who reach 200 innings. Just that's, four this year to hit it. That's essentially that range, that that kind of four to eight range I, I think we'll be looking at. But I'll say more because I don't think there will be fewer than four. But I, I mean, it's going to be right in that territory. I'm going to go... Man, these are t- these are tough, and I hate to just you know say that. It, well, I could go either way with this, but I, I don't know. I think that I, I think that we might see four who reach two hundred innings, and I think that that's going to kind of be the norm. I don't think we're going to see many more than that, though. I think we have guys that that can do it. You know, obviously health, you know, being in their favor, but I think we'll we we might have a handful of guys, but I don't think you see more than four. I'm actually going to take the over. I think we'll see not many, maybe five or six. I just think that the COVID thing coming off the shortened season last year kind of limited some guys. You could conceivably see another five, six, seven guys on this list that were uh, down the uh, the list of innings pitched who could have conceivably hit 200 innings and just didn't quite. Robbie Ray, 193 and a third. Kevin Gaussman, just 192. Jose Burrios, 192. So I think we'll see some combination of five or six pitchers get to that level. But ultimately, either way, I wouldn't be shocked. All right, next one here, and I believe we're going to go to Ron first on this one. Which is more likely to happen in 2022? Robbie Ray has an ERA under three, or Kevin Gaussman has an ERA under three. Which of these two guys do you think could do that, is more likely to do that, and do you buy them doing it? I, I never thought that I would say this, but I think I'm going to go with Kevin Gaussman here. And, we, you know, we talked about him earlier in the season, how he's kind of, you know, kind of just reinvented his career in a way. And I, I think I kind of trust him more as an overall pitcher. I feel like Robbie Ray is, you know, we, we, we've had those seasons of Robbie Ray having a four and a half ERA and having 200 Ks. And, you know, it's always the dilemma of, 
you know, is it worth it to have him on your team to get those 200 strikeouts, but he's going to destroy your, your ratios. It's kind of like when you had Adam Dunn as your first baseman uh, a, long, a long time ago. You got the nice homer totals, but you also got the terrible uh, batting average totals as well. Is it worth it? And I think that I trust Kevin Gaussman a little bit more because he walks fewer batters. I think he's done it over a longer period of time. You know, you still got Robbie Ray as a guy that is is a, a career uh almost four batters per nine innings walked. You've still got Kevin Gaussman, who's under three. Uh, he may not strike as many guys out, but I think he's more likely to put up that sub three ERA than Robbie Ray is because we just haven't seen it enough. I like both of them a lot, and I buy the improvements from both for sure. But I also have to take Gossman. I think he's safer. I think he the the improved control and command that he has versus Ray helps, as does, at least for now, pitching in the National League and not being in the AL East. Ray had a 90% strand rate this year, which kind of masked a couple of things. So I'll say Gossman as well. Yep, and once again, a clean sweep. I'm taking Gossman. Uh, I think Ray's still very good, though, and I think he will be taken fairly early in drafts and i do think he'll at least provide enough value to warrant that cost maybe it won't be a perfect you know he he was taken in the third round and he provided third round results it might be he was taken in the third round and he provided fourth round results or something like that which is still good but with gaussman i think he's just more a safer bet to have that era below for the reasons you guys said particularly the command which is still pretty damn good two three four walks per nine all right so this one is brian's first which is more likely to happen in 2022? Yoan Moncada has less than 20 combined home runs and stolen bases. And this year he had just 17 in 600 plate appearances. Or Jorge Polanco has 40 plus home runs slash stolen bases. And he had 43 this year. So they essentially just have to repeat the seasons they just had. What do you think, Brian? I think Polanco is more likely because I think he's this good. I think he can do somewhere in the neighborhood of 25, 30 homers, 10 to 15 steals regularly. So I think this is repeatable while he's in his late 20s, early 30s. As for our good friend, Yoan Moncada, uh, he had a season in which he had a 375 OBP and was worth four and a half war. And if you would have told me that coming in, I would have guessed he was better in fantasy terms. I think... There's so much talent there that one iteration of him is going to allow him to either start running a little bit or adding some more fly balls and and hitting some more home runs again. So I think he'll clear that 20, and I think Polanco will clear that 40. Yeah, I think that uh, I'm going to go with Polanco as well. And I, I think it's a case of until, you know, Brian, you kind of made the argument for me. And, I, I, you know, whichever one happens first, the steals or the homers for Mankata, I think we maybe see the steals kind of go by the wayside here. It seems like with a lot of these guys, that's what goes first. They they don't steal as much, but you might see him convert more of those fly balls into homers. You know, I like the like you said, I like the fact that he had the nice OBP. The strikeout rate has come down. He decreased it by about six percent last year, and 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 he was fairly healthy as well. Six hundred plate appearances. I like Polanco's talent. I don't think that he can't reach he can't reach those numbers. There's really not anything holding him back from doing doing what he did this season again. But I just I don't know about Moncada. You know, when we, we look at his numbers, you know, he's been around a while. He's 26. He seems much younger than that to me. Only hit 14 homers last year. He only hit 17 in 2018. Actually had 25 one year. But I just I don't think that, you know, I don't think that the steals are, are, are going to be there as much. And I think that might be what holds him back from getting to that number. It's Polanco for me as well. With Moncada, I think I'm just out. And that's just because he, by all accounts, did okay enough 
yet the results just simply weren't there. But I could point to a lot of things saying that he got lucky in a couple of ways. 350 BABIP is, is a, well, almost a career high, or is a career high. Nope, 2019, he had a 406 BABIP. I forgot about that. And that led to a 315 batting average. Well, 350, which was 50 points less, led to a 50-point less batting average this year, 263. So if that falls to 320, he's a 240 hitter or whatever it may be. Now, ultimately, I just don't buy that I think he's going to get back to producing fantasy-relevant numbers. Still striking out a little too much. It did get better with 25.5% K rate, whereas with Polanco, he's just good. So nothing to add to there to that one. Let's do one more of these before we get out of here. Let's see. This one's kind of fun. Let's do which is more likely to happen in 2022, Ron. Adolis Garcia has a full-time job or Adam Duvall has a full-time job. And Adam Duvall, how many home runs did he hit this year? Was it like 47? It was 38 or 39. It was still many is whatever it was. Yeah, it was it was wild. 38. So yeah, what do you think of these guys? Garcia maybe had slightly better fantasy numbers, but Duvall with 38 home runs, that's nothing to sneeze at. Well, we talked about how Adolis Garcia basically did all his damage in the first half, so that's a little bit deceiving if you look at the whole body of work. I think they both have full-time jobs, but I, th- I think if I had to pick one that's more likely, I think I would pick Garcia just because of the fact that you know you have the Braves that are going to have um, you know Ronald Acuna coming back. You know, the Braves always make some sort of move as well where they add guys. You know, in, in they just make smart moves. You know, like we. You know, we, we, we thought that they had that with Marcelo Zuna, and we all saw how that didn't work out. But when you look at it from a player standpoint, last season, it just kind of made sense for the Braves. Uh, you know, and that's a guy that will has soon rightly so been forgotten about. Um, that said, you know, Acuna will be back. Christian Pache is there. You know, they've got some guys waiting in the wings. Drew Waters is there as well. So I think he's a guy that could kind of get pushed for playing time, uh, you know, especially with a guy like Acuna coming back. But I feel like the Rangers just don't, just don't have a lot to push Adolis Garcia. And, you know, like I said, he was one of the kind of the nice surprises for them as well. You know, one of the things that they did that actually worked out really well because, you know, we we kind of like Nick Solak. That didn't work out. We thought Nate Lowe with the start he got off to would work out. That didn't really work out as well. And so he was kind of one of the lone bright spots. So I think he's going to get a bunch of playing time just out of necessity. But also he's one of the few things they did last year that, were, that actually worked. I have certainly ragged on Adolis Garcia plenty, but I think he's the guy more likely to start. One, because I don't think a contending team would want Adam Duvall to be starting. I think you want him situationally starting and, and pinch hitting, things like that. Two, because Garcia, who, similar to Duvall, doesn't get on base and hits homers. That's the offensive skill set. But he can play defense. He plays very quality outfield defense, and he's a smart base runner who can also steal bases. So I think there's more to gain by playing him in uh, all facets of the game than there would be starting Duvall. So I'll say Garcia. Absolutely agree. It's Garcia here. Duvall, he's 33 years old, so he's a little bit older. Is too. that all? That is, yes, it is that all. That's that's a way to say that because he seems like he's older, but that's still probably just too old for his kind of skill set. He works best as one of those off-the-bench bats that can just hit a home run as a right-hander, and I think he'll go right back to doing that and continue to have success. Now, if we look at his full-season line here, I'm on fan graphs. Even with 38 home runs, 67 runs, 113 RBI, five steals, 228, 281, 491 slash. (laughs) And that's worth negative offensive, or it's not worth negative. It's worth zero offensive value per the fan graphs offensive metrics. So that tells you all you need to know about that. Whereas Garcia, like you said, he does baseball things better. 
and is younger and could play some defense, blah, blah, blah. He's going to be the one for that. Duvall has that dad ball player skill set. He, just yeah, kind of guy. being strong and wise and hitting a home run here and there. But the knees don't work how they used to. Yeah, that's about right. Okay, <laughs> well, that's going to do it for that segment. That was a fun little reel, which is more that we stumbled into. Let's do. Hold on, I'm gonna fr- I'm gonna reorganize this. So let me see it that way. Okay. So uh, that's going to do it for this season. That's going to wrap it up. Like I said at the beginning of the show, we'll be back certainly before next year, next calendar year, but I don't know what our schedule might be. But uh, anything you want to get out there, guys, before we head off into the sunset? I'm sure we'll be back to probably discuss who won the World Series, who wins the award, something like that. But my parting thoughts, I guess, would be I had a terrible 2021 fantasy season, and I'm really hoping 22... I'm really hoping 2022 is better. More importantly, I'm hoping 2022 starts on time and that uh, there's some sort of agreement reached between the players and the evil dastardly owners. Yeah, same for me. Definitely a fantasy season that I want to, for the most part, forget about a couple of epic collapses for teams of mine. So I guess I was kind of like the Rays in a way where I, you know, I I did pretty well for the majority of the season and then just kind of crapped the bed at the end. So a uh, couple dynasties I'm looking to make some moves in. Might might have to cut the leagues down a little bit. I think my league leagues, uh, the amount of leagues I have is a little bit out of control. So maybe that'll cause me to be a little bit more vigilant as far as what I'm doing in some of them. So, so yeah, we'll see. You know, we've got um, Arizona Fall League coming up. That'll be kind of fun to pay a little bit of attention to. I'm sure we'll be co- talking to you about that um, on the Dynasty Show. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely see you sooner rather sooner rather than later for sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this season, I guess we'll say. And until we see you next time, may the fantasy gods shine upon you.